In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. This is a Holy Trinity Sunday. We began the year with Advent, preparing for the coming of Jesus for His birth. We uh, confessed His appearing to the world in Epiphany. And we began to uh, talk about His ministry and His passion through Lent and through Holy Week and His death and resurrection at Easter. We contemplated Easter for 50 days and we came to Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then the, uh, the cap on top, the summary of all that we have done up until now is confessing God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and Holy Trinity. It's so important that we understand that God is, uh, that the Father is God, that the Son is God, that the Holy Spirit is God, and yet the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. They are distinct. They are three persons, yet one God. And it's so important that we understand this fellowship, this ecology of the Holy Trinity, because we are being invited to live in that fellowship. We have been invited as believers to join the Son, to be in Him as He is in the Father. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is confessed right away in Holy Scripture. The very beginning of Genesis chapter 1, we see God the Father creating. We see Him speaking the words of creation, the Word of God, the Son of God, and we see the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters. All this, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is declared in the first few verses of Genesis. He is there and He is moving and He is creating. There are many creation myths that we hear all around the world. The thing that really sets this creation story apart from so many others is that God creates out of nothing. Other creation myths have a God who moves clay or moves matter or takes dirt. This God creates all things and He creates light and darkness before you notice He sets up the sun and the moon. He creates all things, even matter and energy, and He creates them out of nothing. This is very important for us to understand because a God who creates out of nothing exists before His creation. And we know as we think about and as we contemplate a God before creation that there's no way for someone to be conscious, for somebody to be alive and for somebody to act without there to be uh, an object for them to act upon, an object for them to think upon, an object for them to contemplate. We know that we have to have an object of our thoughts, an object of our actions, an object of our love. And so how could God act? How could He think? How could He love without an object? And the Holy Trinity is the only description of God that makes any sense because this is a God who is uh, alive and active within Himself. The Father loves and acts upon the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. The Spirit submits to the Father, and so they are in fellowship and loving submission and action one to another before the creation and totally independent of creation. This is very important for us to understand. The next thing that's very important for us to understand is that God creates all things with their seed within them. Why is that important? Because there has been a thinking uh, that had been uh, for generations of scientists that uh, the, the created world existed for um, eternity, that there was never a time when the created world was not, that this idea of God creating out of nothing was just a superstitious myth, that, that things always existed, right? 
and that there was uh, this time for movement and change of things. And you'll have noticed that in the last few generations, many scientists have changed that idea. They now propose something called the Big Bang, which sounds a lot like what we read in Genesis. And while they had started to think about uh, this evolution, this change that happens in organisms, Holy Scripture declares something very different. It declares that the seed is within the organism at the time of its creation. Why is that important? We've come into a radical and new understanding of this through science, through DNA and genetics. And we can understand now the, the radicalness and, the, and the, the, the magnificence of the way that God has created all living organisms. And that if there is just one change, one slight change in the genetics of an organism, it can be disastrous for that organism. Right? The Lord has made each organism to be uh, perfectly uh, in harmony with itself and to have its seed within itself. And so we see that there isn't this change, this ongoing movement, but uh, that any kind of minor change would be disastrous. And so we see that God has created what He has created, when He has created it, to be perfect, just as He wants it. And this includes humanity. He has made us to be as He desires us to be. He finds us good, right? And we see the Holy Trinity again in the creation of mankind. We read that it says that uh, we let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. So this is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? This is the, uh, the, the plurality of God creating man in our image. Not images, image, which belies the truth that God is one. His nature is one. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share one nature, one substance. So we are made bearing the image of God. What does this mean to be image bearers? It means that we hunger and thirst to be one with God. It, it, we are made to be in fellowship with God. That's how God made us. And when we're not in fellowship with Him, we become distressed, we become upset, we start looking for other substitutes for God because that's how we were made. And we see this in people all around the world. No matter their uh, culture, no matter their ethnicity, there's a hunger for God and there is a hunger for His ways. No matter what kind of a culture, no matter what kind of a pagan belief system, all people hunger for justice, hunger for truth, hunger for righteousness, seek beauty, seek order in daily living. Where do we get these ideas? We're not taught them. You don't have to teach children on a playground about truth and about justice and about fairness. We're made with that image of God, with that desire for the things of God within us. And so, let us make man in our image is that desire to come into the fullness and the unity of God. But we know that that image has been, has been tarnished. It hasn't been broken. It hasn't been damaged beyond repair. We still bear that image of God and we see it in the way that we think and that we hunger for Him. But it has been soiled. It has been muddy. And it needs to be made clean. And because of God's love for us, He desires to clean us. He desires to wash us. And His remedy, His prescription for this dirtying of the image that is within us is a good bath, dinner, and a bedtime story that we call baptism, holy communion, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He washes us in baptism. He washes 
that soiled image of God so that we are able to radiate and reflect the love of God everywhere that we go. Notice that Jesus says, go and baptize. He doesn't say, go and lead them in the Jesus prayer. He doesn't say, go and um, ask them to ask the Lord into their hearts. He doesn't say, go and teach them how to live right lives. He says, go and baptize. Because baptism is the fullness of all of those things. Does baptism include the confession of Jesus as Lord? Absolutely it does. Does baptism include a prayer where we ask the Lord into our lives and we ask to be a part of His life? Absolutely it does. Does it include repentance of sins? Does it include the rejection of Satan? Does it include exorcism? It includes all of those things. And it includes the washing waters to be washed of sin. And it includes the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are chrismated in baptism so that the Holy Spirit comes into us and dwells in us. Baptism is the whole complete experience of coming into the life of Christ. And this is what he sends us to go and do. He sends us to baptize and to disciple, that is to teach the ways of God. And so when we are baptized, when we've received that bath, then we're called to be disciples. The best example I can think of as a disciple is the great children's toil, the barrel of monkeys. Did anybody ever have a barrel of monkeys as a kid? The barrel of monkeys, when I was a child, uh, was a, a simple connecting toy with all kinds of little monkeys, and they had a hand up and they had a hand down. Right? Every monkey had a hand up and a hand down. And you would connect them one to another, and you could make a chain of these little monkeys as they would hold each other's hands. Right? And any monkey that was broken that didn't have a hand up or a hand down, you had to throw away. It was no good for the toy. Because that's how we're made. We're made to always have a hand up, right? I have to look to others to, to be discipled, right? I need to be discipled. I have to turn to the bishop. I have to turn to senior clergy in our diocese. I have to turn to you all, right? To, to disciple me, to remind me of who I am and what it is I'm supposed to be doing, right? Many of you have, uh, have been in the faith longer than me and read the scriptures more than me. And so I need that support. I need that discipleship. And it's my job to have a hand down. I'm supposed to be reaching and saying, let me help you to understand the scriptures. Let me help you to understand how to worship. Let me help you to understand how to fold a bulletin or clean a toilet, if that's something that I know how to do to serve in the church. All these are essential tasks that we have to do. And it's my job to receive that instruction and to give it. Sometimes we think, oh, God forbid, I know enough. That's believing a lie that Satan tells to keep us from having that hand up. Sometimes we think nobody would want to disciple me. Nobody would want to. They don't want to spend the time to do that. I don't, they don't want to spend time with my stupid questions. This is a lie that the enemy tells to keep us from being discipled. We let the enemy tell us that we're a broken monkey and that we can't be formed in that chain of discipleship. Sometimes we think, oh, there's nothing that I can teach somebody else. There's no way that I can help another person. There's no way that I can support them. There's nothing that I can teach. This, again, is a lie of the enemy that we have been told to keep us from being members of the body of Christ and to be partners in discipleship. We all reach up and we all reach down to help and disciple one another. And we do that in fellowship. We do that in abiding with one another. This is the way that St. Paul ends his beautiful letter, the second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 13. He ends it with this Holy Trinity blessing, right? He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We are called to be in fellowship with one another. And to do that, to be in fellowship, we have to examine ourselves. We have to think and we have to reflect and we have to think, am I being discipled? Am I discipling somebody else? What opportunities do I have to receive instruction? What opportunities do I have to give it and to support and to help others? St. Paul says, examine yourselves, whether you are in the faith, and test yourselves. Who's he talking to here? He's talking to the church. He's telling the church, examine yourself, whether you're in the faith. He's not talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to the church. Examine yourselves, whether you are in the faith. If you fail to meet the test, find out and pray so that you may not do wrong. So in other words, we're supposed to reflect, we're supposed to think. Am I sad? Am I angry? Am I frustrated? What is it that I'm doing with my life? How did I act yesterday? How did I act when I talked with that person? How did I act when I met with them? We need to examine ourselves and we need to think and reflect. And if we are angry or sad or frustrated, we need to figure out what that's about. We need to confess it to the Lord and ask for His help. Ask for the Holy Spirit to remake us. Right? To give us that hope and to give us that love that we're supposed to have in fellowship. And that's not just one of us. This is all of us. We all are called to do this. And we do that so that we can come together and support one another in fellowship. Now, if we're here today, if we're here today to have some quiet time with the Lord, you're about six days too late. Quiet time with the Lord is Monday morning. Monday morning you get up and that's quiet time with the Lord. That's the quiet time with your Bible and your prayer. Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning. Are you getting what I'm saying here? We come here together not to be quiet. We come here together to have fellowship, to encourage one another. St. Paul says to aim for restoration, to comfort one another, to agree with one another. That's the work that we are here to do. We are here to agree with one another, to find agreement in Christ, to live in peace and to greet with the holy kiss. The kiss of peace, of course, in the ancient world and in the Near East and in many cultures today, people greet with a kiss. We greet with a nice firm handshake, right? The handshake of peace. That's okay. That's our cultural expression. But the meaning is no different. That is that we are here to confess to one another and to repent to one another so that we can be in agreement and fellowship. We're here to do work. The passing of the peace is not early coffee hour. It is an extension of the confession of sin. We are here to make sure if there's anything between us that we need to get rid of it, we need to confess it so that we can come together to the altar. We are here to do the work of fellowship. There is only one person here in the audience. Only one audience member here today. That is our God and Savior. You and I are here not in the audience. We are here to work. We are here to encourage one another in fellowship. Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. Some people teach about a thousand years and God going and coming away and Satan going and coming away. Don't believe any of it. All that is taught to scare people and to discourage people. He says, 
in the scriptures, I am with you always to the end of the age. His kingdom has been established and it will have no end. Do not be discouraged. God is with us. He is always with us. He is inviting us to participate in the fellowship, in the ecology of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are called to participate in the holy creating unity of the Trinity. And we are called to go and to make disciples. To go and make disciples. May we go. Amen. Amen.